Okay, so last night we, we spent the evening talking about worship at a, at a ministry meeting, and I was talking with, with Stephanie, my wife. I tell you, you could, we really needed about three more hours, not only for the worship, but at the actual, really what we were trying to do and convey is what is worship? God has created us to be worshipers. And uh, I left just thinking, wow, so little was discussed. But um, that's what we, we come, we, we come and we go through the word at Calvary Chapel to become experts in the word so that there's a purpose for it. It's not so that we can all walk around like puffy-headed religious people, you know, filled with knowledge. It's so that we will be worshipers of God. And so worship night, two weeks uh, from, uh, I think, last night. And what we're doing right now, though, we're doing the same thing. We're going into the word of God in order to learn how to become worshipers, meaning people who have a relationship with God and who are constantly expressing it. So you can rise for the reading of God's word. We're in the book of Luke, verse 23. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will be in verse 44. Luke 23:44 says this, now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened. Some translations say the sun was covered. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances... And the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good man, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed, meaning he didn't agree with a decision to crucify Jesus. He was from Arimathea, city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting For the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Let's pray. Father, please bring to life your word this morning. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So Jesus had been nailed to the cross at about 9 a.m. It's what the writers of the gospel call the third hour. He had been taken from inside of Jerusalem where he had been tried by a judge, a Roman governor, and three times the Roman governor had declared him innocent. They, but Still, he went ahead and released them to the will of the people who wanted to crucify him. And uh, so a, a group of Roman soldiers took Jesus uh, from the Roman governor's court and they led him outside of Jerusalem to a hill called Golgotha. And in verse 27 of this chapter, it says that a large crowd had, had followed Jesus from where he was in Jerusalem, where he was tried, and he, he took a cross, got some help along the way because he was unable to carry the cross due to the fact that he had been really beaten and, and, and physically abused. And, uh, but a large crowd was, was following him, and from 9 a.m. until 12 noon, which... It calls the, uh, here the sixth hour. Part of this crowd surrounding Je- surrounded Jesus and they cursed him. They heaped insults on him and verbal abuse and they attacked him. This time with their tongues. This time with their tongues. It says in verse 35, it says, And the people stood looking on. And even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And then, so Mark chapter 15, verse 29. You don't have to turn there. But it gives a better picture of what Jesus was surrounded by as he was uh, on the cross. It says, Those who passed by blasphemed him. It says, They wagged their heads and uh, saying, aha, you who, so they're speaking to him. They said, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So they're looking right at him saying this. And then the chief priest got all in his face, says mocking them, uh, in, 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 again, in, in the book of Mark. And they said, he saved others, but look, himself, he cannot save Let the Christ, let this Christ, the guy who calls himself the king of Israel, let him come now, uh, come down from the cross. And then if he does, we'll see and believe. This is what's going on almost continuously from 9 a.m. to 12 noon. Now, in Psalm 22 don't have to turn there, but we, it's a prophetic psalm, meaning it is a psalm written in the Old Testament which describes what was actually going on in Jesus' mind while this is going on from 9 a.m. to 12 noon. He's already been through physical torture, but we can only imagine the emotional torture of combining all the pain with these people who have surrounded him. And so it says in Psalm 22, and I think, do we have that, Psalm 22? This is actually Jesus speaking on the cross. 
This is what the Bible does for you, by the way. It actually gives things sometimes hundreds of years in advance a prophetical utterance of what is going to happen in the future. Example right here. This is Jesus on the cross. And he says, many bulls have surrounded me. I don't know if any of you, any of you ever been around a bull? Like a big old bull? There we have, just one in the back. There's two, okay, a few more. I remember when I was a kid growing up. And uh, part of my youth was in, uh, in, in Venezuela and South America. And they did this crazy thing. You know, outside of the United States, there's much fewer laws. Okay? And so we, we, my dad took us to this place out in the country where they had this, this bull running thing. It wasn't like the thing they do in Spain. It was like these, these wooden fences about this high, and it ran about 50 yards, and they would run these bulls through with these crazy guys on horses pulling them around, and these things would just crash into the fence. People would sit on the fence trying to, and, and the big old horns, and I remember one of the bulls, and we weren't that far away, that was leading into this place, broke the rope and just rushed into the crowd. It's a terrifying thing, a massive bull. Jesus is saying, and he's on the cross, many of these bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion this is this is what this is what Jesus is literally saying in his spirit on the cross i am poured out like water all my bones are out of joint now how did the writer of the psalms a thousand years before the crucifixion know that Jesus was going to be crucified and part of being crucified is all your bones just go out of joint. He didn't know that. This was given to him by the Lord. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Written a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. And by the way, no such thing as, no such thing as the Romans really at this time crucifying people. Un, they, they didn't have crucifixion at the time this was written. They pierce my hands and my feet. It's a prophetic song. This is a description of what Jesus is, is, is going through emotionally on the, on the cross. I am poured out like water. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me, and many strong bulls have surrounded me. This is what's going on. But then at noontime, what happens? All these people just in his face, angry, mocking, but at noontime, it says, verse 44 of Luke chapter 23, now it was about the sixth hour, that's noontime. And there was darkness over all the earth earth until the ninth hour, then the sun was darkened. And, uh, and another translation, literally, it means it was covered. It was covered. And so the whole scene of these mockers, it's thrown into darkness. 
You know, it's amazing how easily the Lord can silence the voice of a mocker. And some of, some of us live the life of a mocker and have experienced that, oh boy, can the Lord silence the voice really quick of a mocker. At this point, I'm convinced most of this crowd freaks out and gets out of there. They're out of there. They scatter. And, 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 and you know, what is left really is a completely different scene. The angry, mocking crowd, gone, except for a, a, maybe a few of those mockers, a little more on that in a little bit. You have largely silence now, interrupted only by three men on, the, on crosses gasping for air. Maybe some hushed voices, you know, in the crowd. Jesus hanging in the dark for three hours, accompanied by two other men, but really he is alone. What Jesus did for you on the cross, he did alone. He did by himself. And that's a very important theological point because the Bible says no one could help him. No one was even capable. You were not capable. You are not capable of helping out God even in the very least of paying for your sin of taking on the consequences of your own sin. So he, he's there alone, hanging in darkness for three hours. Towards the end, we put up this verse last week. I want to put it up again. Towards the very end of that three-hour period, uh, Jesus, it says about the ninth hour, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that's Aramaic. That means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we, 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 we closed off with this point last time, and that is that up until this time, Jesus had always addressed God as his father. Every single time, you can go research it. You can go research when Jesus addressed in the New Testament, when he addressed um, God, he addressed God as his father. In Luke chapter two, actually the first words ever uttered by Jesus. In Luke chapter two, uh, his parents returned to Jerusalem because they had gone home. They had visited Jerusalem with Jesus when he was about 12, something like that. He had gone home. And when they found him, they said, well, what are you doing? Why didn't you come with us? What did he say? Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? <laughs> Luke chapter 10, verse 21, it speaks about Jesus rejoicing in the spirit, saying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Luke 22 Father, we read this recently, he's in, the, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, crying out in verse 42 of Luke 22, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And then in verse 34 of this chapter, Jesus said to the Lord in the midst of all the mocking, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
But strangely, the scene changes, darkness over the land, three hours, and at the end of the three-hour period, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened? The Bible says that there was a separation at that time when Jesus died in the dark for your sins, it says that the father hid his face. Somehow there was a separation for the first time in all eternity. Jesus never knew what it meant to be separated from his father. But the payment for your sin required it. It required it, the payment for your sin, your insistence, my insistence on living our life as if we were God. That is sin. That is rebellion against the holy God. And the Bible required that someone, either you or someone else, pay for that sin. The justice of God requires it. God looked upon the whole earth, couldn't see anyone who could pay that price in order to win man back so he sent his own son. And so in in, in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 8, it says this. It says, in the outpouring of wrath. Wrath means anger. In the outpouring of wrath have I hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness will I have mercy on thee. Praise God. This is a picture of what happened on the cross for you. You don't want the outpouring of God's wrath of his anger on you. You don't want that. I promise you, you don't. But the Bible says on the day of judgment, uh, on the day of judgment, um, every single one of us is going to appear before God and where we spend eternity, either eternity under God's wrath, God's anger, or eternity in his everlasting loving kindness will depend upon what did we do with this decision about his son? Did we embrace his son By faith, did we do that? And so um, here at this time, most of the crowd has dispersed. Um, It says in, uh, at the end of verse 46, after he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So the judgment now is over. The judgment is complete. Uh, The outpouring of wrath was but for a moment and right right back into, into that relationship that existed from all eternity. Peter, or rather Jesus addresses God one more time yet again as father. Into your hands I commit my sphere. And then it says, having said this, he breathed his last. And so, I want to talk the rest of the time today about who was left here. Most of the crowd had gone. But here in the rest of the chapter, Luke describes four people who are left there. 
they're left standing. The last one's left standing, if you will. Everyone else had left. And he very deliberately chooses to write about four people who are left at the cross. Now, there could hardly have been four more different people in the entire world. And I believe that's a very deliberate choice on the part of the Holy Spirit. If you could try to think of four more different people in the same place at the same time, you can't hardly do a better job, of course, we can never outdo the Holy Spirit, than what you see right here. So deliberate, so intentional, speaking of four different classes of people. So let's talk about them. Who was left? First one, the centurion. It says in verse 47, it says, so when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Actually, in the book of Mark, uh, it says this. So when the centurion who stood opposite him, so the centurion was right in front of Jesus, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God, the centurion. He's a military commander of a 100 Roman soldiers. He, the fact that he cries out like this is a big, big deal. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, all three of them mention this. You have a Roman soldier crying out, surely this man was the son of God. Now, why? Why was this a big deal? Because people were terrified of these guys. You know, we, we live in this crazy free country. We don't have uh, guys walking around in fatigues, enemy soldiers headbutting people with the, with the butt of their AK-47s. God praise the Lord. We've never had that. The Jews lived with that kind of thing. They were the Roman soldiers. They, they did that. They used to go around just harassing people. It's interesting, way back in Luke 3, yeah, there was a time when we were in Luke 3, um, uh, John the Baptist was still alive, and he was preaching, and everyone was going out to him, and they were repenting, meaning changing their mind and behavior, and they were turning to God. And some people would go, come to him and say, well, so what am I supposed to do? Like, my name is Steve Cole. You, you, you tell me what to do. I need some help here. Every once in a while, we do need help. It's, it's good to go to someone and say, what do you think I need to do? I want to follow Jesus. What do you want? And so some Roman soldiers came up uh, to, to John the Baptist. Well, what do we need to do? And it's interesting John the Baptist says, said, do violence to no man. Now, unfortunately, we lose something in the translation. That word violence, it's a Greek word, diasio, only time it's used in the New Testament. This is what it means. It means to shake thoroughly. Here we have it right here. It means to shake thoroughly. This is what Roman soldiers, this is what they did to make to tremble, to terrify. So you have this Roman soldier at the cross and he's crying out, surely, surely this man was the son of God. 
And, 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 and the writers of, of, of the Gospels are just, they're, they're carefully, wow, this actually happened. At a Roman centurion said this. It says, note there in verse 43, it says, he glorified God. He glorified God. I, I have no doubt myself that he, the message here from Luke is this man turned to Jesus. He turned to God. So what are we supposed to take from this? We're supposed to take this. That your faith, if you have one here, if you're sitting here this morning, you have faith in Christ, your life with Jesus. Listen, it's for your enemies. It's for your enemies. We get this crazy idea that there's a certain class of person an enemy, that there is absolutely no way in a million years that my faith is for them. Nonsense. This, this Roman centurion, he knew nothing about God. In America, most people know something about Jesus, something. This guy knew nothing about, very little, if anything, about the Jewish faith. He was what we would call today a pagan. He had a bunch of Roman different pantheon of gods, a god of light, a god of sun, the god of the moon, god of thunder. And, and the Jews thought it was inconceivable that God would want to save someone like this. Wrong. And you, me, we're wrong too if we don't think that God doesn't want to radically save our enemies. So you had this guy. He was there in front of the Roman governor who declared Jesus innocent three times. He was there when Jesus remained silent in the face of all the, 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 the heap of insults that was piled on him. He was there when Jesus was scourged, whipped. He was there when he was nailed to the cross. He probably supervised it. He was there when, the, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was there when Jesus hung in darkness for three hours, inexplicable darkness. An eclipse, as we talked about last week, was just a few minutes. This is three hours in the middle of the day. And he was there. Matthew actually mentions an earthquake right after Jesus died. He's there witnessing all this. And even as the earthquake was splitting open rocks, this man's heart was being split open. God's in the business of doing that. Are we so self-righteous, are we? That we think somehow that God doesn't save our enemies. He does. Sometimes they're the only people left who, or, who, are, who God knows are willing to go out and spread the good news. Roman centurion, person number one. He's left at the cross as Jesus, when, after Jesus died. Person, or better put, people group, number two, left at the cross. We read in verse 48. Let's read it. It says, the whole crowd who came together to that site Seeing what had been done, they beat their breasts and they returned. So every, you know, like most people who speak normal English, I've spent a better part of my life reading that verse, beat breasts. Okay, so what is this about? They're beating their chests. What is this about? 
Well, most Bible commentators agree that what's going on here is that these people had been just among the crowd following along with this whole thing, going along with this whole thing, and suddenly their eyes have been opened and they're struck with the horror of what they, not someone else, not a Roman soldier, not the Jewish priests or the Pharisees, but they had done. And, 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 and in fact, uh, one translation actually says this. It says the people went back, kneeled down, and prostrated themselves to the ground, meaning they put their face right in, right in the dirt. And they acknowledged their guilt in what had just been done. The first sermon ever given, I don't know if a pulpit was there, maybe there was, probably wasn't, Peter in the book of Acts, he turns to the people and he said, you crucified the Lord of glory. And it says the people were cut to the heart and said, well, what must we do? And and he said this, he he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's the only, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's the place where God is trying to get every single person in the world. He's trying to get them to the, pl- to the place where they recognize their sin is what killed Jesus. Your sin, my sin, nailed Jesus to the cross. And oh, the glorious moment when a, pr- a man or woman recognizes that and cries out to the Lord, God, save me. What is God's response? Save you. Uh, Oh, yes, I'll save you. I sent my son to save you. I'd like nothing better on the face of the earth than to save you. There's nothing we can do, no good deed that we can do to be saved. But the Bible says we can open up our heart in faith to the Lord. Before I move on, I do want to say this about this crowd who's beaten there. Anyone want to do a demonstration, by the way? No, please, no. They started doing it. It's like, whoa. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, before we move on, this, this group of people who's beating on their chests here, they, they, they do represent um, a certain kind of, of person, really. A certain kind of person it, 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 that really many of us in this room right now were... were we're one of these people. And, and there may be even a few of you, I, I would say that almost certainly there are a few of you in this room who are this person today. They represent the, the, pe- the people, they've just, they've been going along with the crowd really their whole life. They go along with what the crowd believes, what the crowd does with their time, with their money, with their careers, with their entertainment choices, with their sex life, whatever. They've just gone along with the crowd. It, you know, the view of, of, of God and Jesus is really, when it comes down to it, it's, it's the crowd's view. There may be a certain kind of respect, maybe. But something happens by the grace of God in the person's life where uh, they wake up and their eyes open and they're like, wow, I have been living my whole life for myself. And guess what? I'm a, I'm a guilty one. I'm guilty. I'm not this good person I thought I was. Again, the place where God is trying to bring 
everybody. And if you're here this morning, that's where he, he, it's the place that he, he's wanting to bring you. Number three. We're going to ver- uh, jump to verse 50. It's Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 50. It says, now behold. Again, these are the people left at the cross. Crowded, dispersed, but these people are left. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He did not, he had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate, who's the Roman governor, and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock. It was dug out of the rock. They would dig these uh, grave tombs right into the rock. The, The rich, wealthy people did. It says, where no one had ever lain before. So this guy, Joseph, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Remember the judges that had uh, voted to put Jesus to, to, to death? The Jewish judges. There's, remember, two trials. There's one before but, uh, a, a number of Jewish judges, actually 70 of them. And then there was a, another one before the Roman governor. Only the Roman governor was allowed to put someone to death. But the Sanhedrin, the 70 judges, had voted to put Jesus to death, but not this guy. He probably was there, but he did not consent to it. And, and so uh, he doesn't consent to, to Jesus' death. But here, he, he, here's what is important for, for our purposes this morning. He rep- rep- represents really the exact opposite, really, of, of the Roman soldier, but also these crowd followers. This guy's a religious guy. He had grown up memorizing the Old Testament and probably memorized large portions of it. He had grown up doing all the prayer stuff and dressing in a right way and this kind of thing. That's what he had done growing up. So the message here from Luke, from the Holy Spirit is not only can a non-religious Roman centurion, a pagan, someone completely without any knowledge of God uh, come to faith in Christ, but also a religious follower. In fact, it's oftentimes the religious followers that are most in need of salvation. Religious people today who grew up going to church, saying their prayers, lighting candles, observing holidays, trying to be good, are often the people who are the farthest from God in the world, although they don't know it. Why? Because there's no relationship. But God created man, woman, for relationship with him, and without relationship, all you have left is religion. Dead religion. That's what I grew up with. Dead religion. Just people going through the exercises including the, the, the men and women up front, the leaders. It was just dead. Nothing was happening. They weren't teaching the Bible. They didn't believe the Bible. Dead religion. Joseph of Arimathea proves these people need to come to God. Now, important point here today. 
Notice how he comes, this is his coming out. Because in the book of John, it does say that he, it actually says this guy Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. It says that. But secretly, it says in the book of John, for fear of the Jews. Secretly, for fear of the Jews. I believe God calls every Christian at least in the United States of America. I understand there's Islamic countries and I'm no person to judge Christians living in those countries where you die if you come out. But in a country such as ours, brothers, sisters, God's calling you out in the open. He is. Are you living in the dark? It says in, in John, this is why the Bible is so transparent. It just tells the truth like it is. This guy was living for Jesus in secret. Are you? I know I spent the first, the first part of my Christian life, I, I was not one of those people who got saved and was immediately going to all the people I knew. There was shame there that had to be worked out. I remember I was 24 years old. It was the summer uh, before I got saved and I had a job where I had, was making way too much money. And I was going into to strip joints like, you know, every three days or something like that, blowing ridiculous amounts of money with a bunch of friends or so-called friends. So what happens? I give my life to the Lord about six months later. What happens after that? My marriage. And I'm inviting these guys to my wedding. Guess what they want to do? at the bachelor's party. Take one guess. <laughs> of all people who's going to want to go, you know, to a strip joint at his bachelor's, certainly it's Steve Cole. And I remember this great conflict, you know, I, I, I remember this, this stupid explanation I came up with with why we, we didn't do it. You know, actually we wound up going out on a boat and deep sea fishing. This is in South Florida. But, um, you know, it was a cool thing to do, actually. But, but I remember I came up with some stupid explanation. And the guy who discipled me, the older Christian who, had, who, who really had brought me to the Lord, said, why don't you just tell him you're a Christian? You know, and, 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 and I didn't. You know, so, some people I did, but not these guys I was hanging out with, you know. I didn't. I didn't tell them the real reason. And I think they probably figured it out with it, with, with, with a, at the wedding ceremony and things like that. But, but, and, 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 you know, uh, it, and the way my life turned and went after, but uh, we parted ways. And I, n- I never really went up to them, to these people, and gave the explanation why. And, and after my wedding, I actually never saw these guys again. Don't do that. Now, it took a while, and, and, and over the years, I, I have to say, it's, it's, it's easy now, almost. <laughs> In very awkward situations, explaining to people, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm a Christian. I was just at the ski slopes with my, my kids, and it came the day of skiing in the morning, and it was, became the most painful part of, of skiing. And it's not breaking your leg. It's paying for the lip tickets. <laughs> And, and um, this guy runs up to us, right? And he goes, 
hey, you know, instead of the 75 bucks, uh, you know, for the lift tickets, I'll sell you mine for 15 bucks. Oh, really? And I, I'm like, I was all in. And then I, and then I looked at his, I looked at a, a badge of his and I, and I saw, uh, I saw a season pass. And right then I said, I know what this guy's doing. He had gone in with his season pass, picked up his day ticket, and he's running out, making money. And I said to him, oh, before I give you the money, can I ask you a question? Would, would the people here at Gore Mountain, we were in Gore, New York, we're staying with a pastor friend out there, and, um, which, we like to do, which we do every year, Pastor Cohen. Would the people at Gore Mountain, would they be okay with what we're doing right now? And he goes, well, no. And he goes, well, then I'm, I'm not going to do it. And he goes, you're the only, no one's ever going to find out. And I said, well, yes, someone is going to find out. God will find out. And, and I'm a Christian. And, and, and he goes, and he goes, well, so am I. And, and, and he, <laughs> this is what he said. And he started walking away. And, and, and I said, just think about what I'm saying, though. God knows what you're doing. And he goes, well, I've been thinking about it my whole life. He's a religious person. Who needs Jesus as much as anyone else? And I'm not, look, but for the grace of God go I. I'm not criticizing the guy. But, but, but I know that this guy Joseph, when he finally came out, when he finally came out of the closet here, it was the most freeing, liberating thing in the world. And it will be for you too. And listen, I know, it's, I, I know about the fear of man. I know it's awful. But until we come out, and, and, and just barge right through that fear, Lord can't use you, can't use us, can't, won't. Why would he? He has saved you to be a testimony for the Lord Jesus. So Joseph comes out, fourth person, we'll make it, this is quick and we'll close. Actually, it's go, back in verse 49, it says, the, the rest of the crowd left was his acquaintances. It says, and all his acquaintances had, and the woman who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. And it says, skip now to um, verse 54. It says, the day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. And the woman who had come with him from Galilee followed after. And they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. These are just the people. They, they were already followers of Jesus. They loved the Lord. They were unashamed. That's great, you know, to live an unashamed life and just, and just follow him wherever he takes you. What a great picture, huh? To close the chapter. So next week we'll be in the resurrection. We'll be talking about the resurrection. And I, I want to call the worship uh, team up. Look, if something has, has stirred in your heart this morning, uh, I'd like you to come up to pray as the worship team closes out the service with a worship song. If you've been asked to pray, please come up now as well. God wants to save you. He wants a relationship with you, regardless of the fact if you grew up knowing nothing about God, you didn't grow up in church, he wants a relationship with you. If you grew up in church, go into church every Sunday. He wants to save you if you uh, have 
been like the crowd. This is where so many people have, have lived the better parts of their life. They, they're just in the crowd, just going along, knowing about Jesus, knowing about God, but just sort of going along with, with things. And he wants a relationship with you if you have never entered into a relationship. While the worship team begins today, there'll be some people up praying here after. You can, uh, you can pray with them. Maybe you want prayer just to come out. There was a time where I had to come out. I'm sitting up here as a pastor today. It's pretty easy for me to, to be public with my faith, even out whatever, in the bottom of a ski slope. It wasn't always that way. If you want just more boldness and courage in your life to live a witness, come up. If there's anything else you want to uh, pray about, please do so. Um, as the worship team begins here. So why don't we rise and I will close the uh, service in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for this picture of these four people, these four people groups, Lord, left at the cross. Lord, I just, there's a part of, a part of them and all of us and and you, you died, you suffered, you hung in the darkness, Lord, for all of them, for us. We thank you so much for that, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would bring all of us, every man, woman in here, would, that we, there wouldn't be a person leaving here today who has not opened their heart to you and invited you in and said, I'm, part of being a, I'm tired of being a part of the crowd. I'm tired of being a part of religion. I'm tired of being part of anything other than you, God, come into my heart. I pray I do a, a, you do a work in them. And Lord, for all of us, and I do include myself as well, Lord, give us the grace, give us the freedom, the liberty, just to go out and be publicly who you have called us to be. And Lord, prepare our hearts as we continue in your word and we get into the glorious story of your resurrection. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One or two last announcements. Next week, what time are you coming to church? 11.30. That's, where it's, that's the clock's forward week. We don't want to lose an hour of sleep. So we start next week at 11.30. God bless you. And then the second one, tonight is communion. Sunday evening communion services are much different service. Uh, people, we have an open mic here. People share what the Lord has done in their life. We also have just a time for uh, operation of spiritual gifts and that type of thing. That's this. That's tonight at 6.30. God bless you.